Welcome to Spin Rate, the brand new Blue Jays podcast here on The Athletic. We're so excited to bring you a new show about your Toronto Blue Jays. My name is Drew Fairservice, and I am the co-host, and I am so excited today to be joined by The Athletic's own Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin, how are you? I am great. How are you? I am uh, I'm gr- I'm good. I am so good. I'm excited for this new show that we are launching here today. Brand new for 2021. You may have noticed uh, this week that maybe there was a title change and the art changed in the in in your podcast feed if you were a subscriber to the old show Birds All Day. I was one of the co-hosts for that show as well and uh, for reasons that we won't get into today uh, that show is uh, finished, and this is our brand new show that we're really excited to launch and to bring to you, and to make it something new and something different. And and just we really want to hear from our, from listeners and from people who are who read the Athletic. We're really excited about the opportunity to to really launch something new. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't send a shout out to my former uh, co-host Andrew Stoughton, who I did probably more than 500 episodes of uh, podcasts about the Toronto Blue Jays with in a variety of places. And uh, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. And uh, I just, I'm so thankful for, for uh, my partnership with him over the years and, and for everyone and for all of your support, people who have come with us and we're really excited. And I think Caitlin and I, I, I know Caitlin and I are really excited for you to come with us on this new show here for a very exciting 2021 for your Toronto Blue Jays. I would say you should go to theathletic.com slash spin rate. You can find out more about the show. You can subscribe, do all that good stuff. And then if you like what you hear, you can give us a rating. You can give us a like. You can, of course, subscribe to the show and recommend it to maybe a friend, maybe two, maybe a hundred, whatever suits your fancy. But it is a really exciting time to be a Blue Jays fan. It's a really exciting time to launch a brand new podcast. And it's been a while since we spoke Caitlin and I, long-time listeners of the of, of the previous show, have heard Caitlin a million times. And if you're a, a, <laughs> an athletic subscriber, you've read her work for years. Uh, Caitlin and I have known each other for many years, actually, as well, predating even the existence of the yep. athletic. Former colleagues at uh, that beautiful, what is it, 333 sure, uh, Bloor? Is that what the address was? Uh, sounds, sounds right. Something like that. Whatever. Something like that. We yeah. worked together uh, for like a year and a half, and it was great. And I'm really excited to get Caitlin's insight and Caitlin's experience and Caitlin's context on the beat. Caitlin really getting to the heart of the stories. And uh, I don't know, Caitlin, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Uh, what can we expect in this new show called Spin Rate? <laughs> oh, well, uh, that is on the spot. I feel like I'm in that phase right now where, you know, there's like a recurring guest on a sitcom and then the new season gets introduced and they're in the they're in the uh, main credits and they're part of the main cast now. So I'm just transitioning from my former role as, you know, esteemed regular guests of the podcast to now be uh, dedicated to this podcast um, every week you'll hear me and you'll hear my thoughts and you'll hear, uh, me maybe agreeing with Drew, maybe sometimes disagreeing with Drew. I don't know. We'll have to see. Um, but yeah, no, I think that this is going to be, uh, a really great show to kind of maybe hear, um, some different, um, thoughts from me. You guys are so used to reading what I'm writing. Um, but you guys can get to know me a little bit better, hear me, uh, talk about the Blue Jays, maybe talk about some other things. I'm sure we'll go on tangents. Um, Ollie will probably drop some, um, you know, tennis knowledge every now and then. I'm currently, you know, waiting for the Serena uh, match tonight. Um, So, yeah, this is going to be a really fun time. And I'm very excited for everyone to listen and, and, you know, get to know our new show and follow along for this. What should be uh, a better season for the Blue Jays compared to previous years? That is all very true, and but the biggest thing, and 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 the almost like a like a hidden bonus of launching a new show is we don't know what it's going to be yet. We we have an idea of some of the structure. We're gonna have we're gonna try some different things. We're gonna try some um, different segments and and all that sort of stuff. But the biggest thing we want to do is we want to hear from you, from the listeners and the readers, the people who listen who who listen to the show, subscribe to the show um, at theathletic.com slash spin rate. Uh, and who subscribe to The Athletic as well, who read Caitlin's work, who who follow all of the great work that's done across uh, The Athletic 
platform and network. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you want to hear. And we'll always look to incorporate that feedback and continue to make this new show the best it can absolutely be. Just like the Toronto Blue Jays decided that they needed to make their team the best it could be. Just about. By spending a whole pile of money this winter. As I said, it is a really exciting time to be a Blue Jays fan, and so much has happened since last I had this microphone in front of me, and I had Caitlin on the phone and producer Cam down in uh, beautiful downtown Kansas, Wichita, home of the Shockers, land of the Shockers. Uh, hopefully he's staying warm, and uh, and has no, that's Texas, but you know, there's probably lots of snow there too. But anyway, we're really excited for the new show, and we're really excited to talk about all of the stuff that happened this winter with your Toronto Blue Jays. So why don't we start right there? Caitlin, let's start with the big one. New Toronto Blue Jays outfielder slash center fielder, George Springer. Can you believe it? Uh, yeah, I can't believe it. Um, I felt like that was going to be the move or the player that really like set the tone for the off season. Um, and, you know, it took a while. And I think at different points through sort of like the rumor mill and just kind of reading what people were writing and, and hearing different things, um, the Blue Jays seemed to be in it the whole time. But there was different points where I thought it was more likely that he would go to the Mets. It just seemed like things were trending in the direction where the Mets were just going to, you know, dominate the offseason and spend like crazy with their new owner. Um, and so I would say... Before Christmas, um, December-ish, I was pretty pessimistic on the Blue Jays getting Springer. I think I wrote, I did, I wrote a predictions piece and I said they would not sign Springer. Um, and I was wrong, which I'm okay admitting. And, um, things just seem to change a little bit. Um, I guess we can probably assume that the Blue Jays, um, really upped their offer. I mean, he got six years, 150 million. That's, like that's a pretty good deal for him, probably better than some people thought he would get. Just not anything against George Springer, just given like the economic uncertainty that was kind of hovering over this offseason. So, um, you know, it's reasonable to think that maybe what tipped the scales in the Blue Jays direction is uh, well, more money, also maybe an extra year or something, Whether whatever it took. Obviously, they got it done. Um and it really set the tone for the offseason. I think that if they had really done nothing else but got George Springer, I still think it would be a really successful offseason. He was just such an obvious candidate for them. He's uh he fills a very obvious need. They haven't had a, you know, true, you know, top-rated um center fielder for a few years now. They've kind of been searching for a guy to play center field and you know, Randall Grichuk has done it and Teoscar Hernandez has done it. Um they've done it, you know, fine job there, but you know, they really neither were that sort of elite center fielder that the Blue Jays kind of needed. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, I mean, we can talk more about the moves. I think that it's the sort of main marquee move. I don't know. There's other moves that I really like too. Um, but yeah, what are your thoughts? You should never apologize or, or, or have to hang your head when you're, when you predict that the Blue Jays aren't going to land the biggest <laughs> fish in the free agent market, it's simply not been the way that they've operated. This is the largest contract that they've ever given out to any free agency. It's almost it's double or just about double what they gave to Russell Martin ahead of the 2015 season. This is more money than they give ever given to any one player at one time, surpassing you know Vernon Wells in what was that 2009, 2008, 2007, even when they gave him a huge pile of money. Um, it's it's really exactly what the kind of move you would like for them to make. And maybe there were a lot of different external pieces that worked in the Blue Jays' favor. The Red Sox, the Yankees, even the Dodgers weren't really in a position to make a signing of this significance given some of the other needs that they had, given some of the other you know uh, uh, free agent openings, you know, internal and otherwise that they had to address on within their clubs. So it's not that it fell into the Blue Jays' lap. Nothing that costs 150 million dollars falls into your lap, but it was in a lot of ways the perfect storm, but the thing about it, and 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 maybe I'm I'm not I'm not one to give the Blue Jays too much credit, but they're a very thoughtful, you know, deliberate bunch. So if they're giving a guy who isn't, you know, as of at this moment, 
31 years old, they give him $150 million. You have to feel like they consider it a good bet because they're not a team like the Yankees or the Red Sox that can just paper over their mistakes, financial mistakes. If the Blue Jays give this guy six years and $150 million and it doesn't work out, they're screwed, right? They're fucked. There's no other way around it. They're in big trouble. But that does not, that doesn't jive with the, our view of the front office such that they don't believe that that's going to happen. And the, the, there are lots of other moves to, to celebrate the idea of, of signing Kirby Yates, Marcus Simeon, you know, signing uh, trades and, and signings that will address. But this is the big one because it's the, he's the best player. He automatically becomes the best player on the team because he is the best player in the team. We're talking about a four, five, six win outfielder who plays almost every day at center, in center field. Who could play every day in center field unless unless there is a real strong defensive need? Like that, he makes the team significantly better right away. And unlike some of those other kind of shading around the margins, or you know, upgrades that are upgrades, but there's some projection in them, and there's some hope and some fingers crossed. You don't have to hedge your bets with George Springer. You know how good a player he is. You know he's capable of coming in and making a huge impact right away. And, and the other thing that I like, which is maybe a little bit more on the cynic, not cynical side, but you don't have to put a lot of faith in the player development kind of pixie dust, which when you mentioned uh, Randall Gritchick and Teoscar Hernandez, players who have a lot of skill and a lot of talent, but never really realized it. And you, the, if you're the Blue Jays, you bring these guys in and be like, maybe they'll blossom into being exactly what we need. But the thing is when you bring those guys in with the idea uh, idea of them blossoming into becoming what George Springer already is, right? You brought in a, like an MVP or, or or at least a like I said a four five six win player. You just get to drop him in, and he gets to be that right away. There's no well, we can change this, we can tweak that. He's just there, ready to make an impact, and that's huge for a team that sneaking in or otherwise was in the playoffs last year, that had an immediate need in the outfield because they have some okay players, good players, average, maybe a little bit above. Now they've got a significantly above average player that just adds it to the depth, adds, slides everybody else who's not quite good enough to play every day or or has their flaws and has advantages. And maybe if everything goes right, could be a really good player. But again, if everything breaks right for Lourdes Gurriel, if everything breaks right for Randall Gritchick, if everything breaks right again for Teoscar Hernandez, they're still not as good as George Spring. So there's, other than $150 million going down the tube, there's no downside to me. Yeah. I, and I would also add that bringing in a player like George Springer um, just kind of takes the pressure off some of those other guys that, you know, could develop into future stars, guys like, you know, Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, and it takes some of the pressure off them to go out and immediately be that, um, you know, four or five win player um, in their what will be like kind of third official season but realistically they've all kind of had a weird season last year so just having a guy that can kind of anchor your lineup the way that George Springer can anchor a lineup he's um, been a prominent guy in Houston for a few years got a lot of winning experience in Houston although you know 2017 was a little bit shady but anyway um, that you know he's just a guy that can like you said lift the whole lineup. He's going to be their best player. But at the same time, the fact that he's going to take the reins and be their best player can maybe let um, guys like Boba Shett, um, you know, really focus on themselves, um, you know, not put too much pressure on themselves, not feel like the whole team is kind of, um, you know, riding on them and, and needing them to step up. So I think it just all together, it's a, it's a good move. It's a great move. Um, and, you know, I'm really interested to see, um, how the team kind of fits around him, like you said. Um, how how the outfield looks with him obviously playing center field every day. How the lineup looks. We know Charlie Montoya loves to change his lineup. Um, I think George Springer's a pretty good leadoff hitter. I would think you would want him leading off the lineup, but you never know what they'll do. I'm sure they'll experiment with it, but there's just so many possibilities um, when you have a guy like George Springer in your lineup. And um, it's definitely, definitely a different feeling heading into this season, knowing that, you know, he's going to be the anchor of their team. I think you made two good points there and uh, that I want to take. Number one is I think he's an ideal leadoff hitter. If you look at him as a guy who's cut down his strikeouts 
uh, over his career. I, I, when he first came in, I, I remember talking with, with a friend being like, oh man, I don't know if I like this kind of player profile. Yeah, he walks, he strikes out a ton, he can run and stuff, but his strikeouts have, have come down uh, significantly to, to the point of being him being a below average uh, swing and miss guy, still draws a lot of walks, gets on base, and then obviously can hit home run. There's no better way to start the game than by winning, getting ahead one nothing. Um, so, so there's a huge advantage in that. And then you can just move the rest of the pieces around, uh, around him. If you assume him to be the lead off hitter, if you want to move him to two, if you want to move him to four, whatever the kind of most important spots in the lineup. The other thing is while he takes the pressure off Vlad Guerrero Jr. Bo Bichette in particular to be the best player, to be the guy that's going to lead the team into the promised land or however you want to look at it. He, at the same time, bringing him in and bringing in kind of like Hyunjin Ryu last year, you've got a guy who's not in the same kind of um, phase of his career. Th- these are like, this team needs to be good now. And if the team is going to be good now, then Bo Bichette needs to be good and on the field. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. needs to be good and on the field and and fit if if at all possible. So there's 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 a, a relaxation in that they can just focus on performing, but there's also the understanding that it's like there's no time to screw around anymore. You know, there's no time to be like, oh, I wonder what this is going to happen. We're just going to run you out there. You know, I don't know that anyone's in jeopardy of losing their job, but I think maybe the next player we're going to talk to, Marcus Simeon. He can play shortstop if Bo Bichette's not up to the task, right? So, Bo, you know, work on your defense. Be ready to, to, to fight for the everyday shortstop job. To assume it to be your own would be folly. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr., obviously, he wants to be able to impact the team however he can and, and is fighting to play third base again every uh, – or not every day, but as often as possible. Has some time to work on, on, on his defense at first base. And, you know, the assumption being that if he hits, they'll have to move people around to keep him in the lineup. But if he doesn't hit – there's no there. There doesn't need to be an assumption that he's going to have a job every day because the team's built to win now. They need to win games. They're in tough no matter what in the AL East. And while the Red Sox are rebuilding, they're going to piss some people off. The Yankees are still a juggernaut. The Yankees are still a, the best team in the division. And the Rays are always going to be the Rays. Where even if some of the move, the big moves that they made, trading Blake Snell and whatever else, if that stuff doesn't work out, the Rays will be fine. But they're going to be a, a thorn in the side. So the Blue Jays aren't, no matter how many good players they've had, they're not going to be handed anything. So Vlad, Bo, Danny Jansen, Kevin Biggio, they need to perform to justify the spend this year on Springer and the year before on Hyunjin Ryu, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, you mentioned Marcus Simeon there. And just to kind of shift over to what – he will bring to the team or, you know, thoughts on what his signing kind of meant. I mean, I really liked it. At first, I thought it was a bit – I didn't quite understand um, the choice to put him at second base, um, although I had a suspicion that it probably came from him. So initially when the signing came out, it was kind of reported, like he'll primarily play second base. And at first I was like, well, that's weird because Kevin Biggio is a second baseman, um, and we know that Kevin Biggio can move around – the diamond and the Blue Jays love calling him, you know, a versatile player, super utility guy. But realistically, his primary position has been second base. But knowing Simeon, you know, they want to lure Simeon. They want to kind of give this free agent that they want to join their team, um, you know, preference to what he wants to play. So he chose second base. Makes sense. He's kind of more familiar with that. Um, you know, that side of the bag when he plays in the shift and he's used to turning double plays. So it makes sense that he would want to be a second baseman. And then from his point of view, he signs a one-year deal. He kind of market himself as like potentially shortstop second baseman. Uh, Maybe he profiles better as a second baseman. So it kind of makes sense all around for him. Um, Then it shifts the infield a little bit. So it probably moves Kevin Biggio over to third base. Most likely he's the third baseman. Then you have Vlad who kind of wants to play third base. We'll probably get a chance to play that spring a little bit. Not sure that he'll play there a ton during the season. It really depends on how he looks. But Back to just the Simeon signing. I mean, I really liked it. I think that he, if you look at a lot of the factors that contributed to his um, not great season last year, there was a lot going on there. Obviously, strange season for everybody. All players were dealing with different circumstances that they were playing under, very strict health and safety protocols, and just the general stress of playing through a pandemic. And everything that I've read and everything that 
um, Marcus Simeon talked about was that he's a very, very routine oriented guy. He had a very extensive pregame um, routine that he would go through every day. He would show up hours before games. That wasn't possible last year just because of the protocols that were in place. Players couldn't show up anytime they wanted. There was sort of a a shorter window when they were allowed to come to the ballpark. So he had to um, alter his routine, which I think really kind of um, threw him for a loop. He was working in the cages a lot because he felt like he was in a slump in summer camp. Then he ended up hurting his side. So he was playing with you know, most of the season or a good portion of the season with an injury. Um, So he wasn't hitting well. His wife was also pregnant and, you know, dealing with a pregnant wife and playing with um, protocols. And it was just a lot going on. And so when you factor that, that all in and see that he did perform better in the postseason and, you know, he own, is only whatever it is, a, a season or two removed from basically being an MVP, MVP candidate, It does look like one of those signings. And the Blue Jays have bet right before on these types of things. They've gotten it wrong um, before, like with Travis Shaw last year. It did not work out. But, um, you know, Marcus Simeon, like I said, there's just a lot there to like about him. And then you talk about intangibles. You know, he's apparently a great leader, great guy. So that was another signing that I really liked. Um, One year doesn't really hurt anyone, um, whatever that expression is. No, no one year's deal is never a bad deal or I don't know, whatever, whatever those baseball people will say. Um, so yeah, I, I like that signing a lot. Um, you know, it could be really sneaky good for the Blue Jays, I think. And, and just, it's so interesting to be like, well, you know, Simeon, he's a, he could be a leadoff guy, but you already got Springer and then you, you, you know, Trying to figure out the Blue Jays lineup is something that's really kind of exciting right now just because they've got so many pretty exciting offensive pieces that you could have a lineup where like Simeon's hitting, you know, sixth or seventh in the, in the order. Um, and that, that looks pretty good if you're if you're just looking at the offense. There is a lot to like about the Marcus Simeon signing as you kind of ran down. I think about it in a little bit of a different way. So you have a potentially high ceiling you know that kind of ceiling that that Marcus Simeon reached in 2019 you know few players ever really put together that those kind of seasons of like what did he have like a 140 weighted runs created plus as a shortstop who who is a good defender playing shortstop on a good team as well like that that's a that's quite the combination I don't think anyone should expect or hope that he repeats that season because you know, everyone's allowed to have a career year. It doesn't mean that's the new standard by which you are judged. 2020, for all the reasons that you ran down, was a step back from him. And it was a little bit – so the thing is it was a little bit worse than what he is traditionally, but it wasn't so far off such that mm-hmm. Marcus Simeon, I think, gives you like a higher floor, which is exactly what the Blue Jays needed because you know even in the Joe Panic and players they gave a lot of playing time to in 2020 – the floor was significantly lower for those guys. So if Simeon can can provide really good defense at second base, um, because he is a he is a good and strong or at least average defender at shortstop. So the 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 common prevailing uh, sense is that he will then translate that over to being better defense at a less strenuous, easier position with less pressure on his throwing arm. A lot of people might remember Marcus Simeon. He kind of used to throw the ball around a lot. He made like thirty five errors in, in twenty. 15 they were all throwing errors yeah. and that really dragged his value down na- uh, then and then he's tightened that part of his game up he improved he, you know as he, as you said this is a guy who works hard this is a guy that goes to the ballpark early and often and, and really puts the work in and it's translated to being a good fielder which he says i'm willing to play second base because you're not going to come in and necessarily tell bo bichette like you're out of a job but i've said many times i i don't love the idea of bo bichette playing shortstop every day i don't think he's I, what do I know? But I don't think he's a good enough defensively to play shortstop every day. So if that doesn't work out, you can flip. You've got something, you've got someone who has that higher floor. You've got Mark Simeon who can step in and play shortstop. If Bobichet misses time, which he's done, he can step in, play shortstop every day. You can then, if you want to move Bichette to second, if you want to take, take a look at that, however it all shakes out, you aren't diminishing the product and the quality of the team as a whole. It's a one-year commitment. It's eighteen million bucks, similar to the George Springer. It's not that it fell into the the Blue Jays' lap, but you know, Mark Zimian was a guy who had the qualifying offer extended to him, and the A's wouldn't sign it, even though he ended up signing for for less or nearly what he would have uh, earned as part of the qualifying offer. So, another team's maybe reluctance or or 
lack of revenue and uncertainty about what was 2021 was going to look like. The Blue Jays were able to step in, take advantage, get a better player in their mix. And the other thing, Kevin Biggio, which I'm sure we'll talk about at length many times because he is among the most uh, divisive of all Blue Jays players, let's say politely. <laughs> uh, not, you, it's not that you've taken away his position, but you're going to take advantage of that, which he does offer, which is that flexibility without relying on him to be an everyday guy when he might get stretched, when he might get exposed, when the the the, uh, the flaws or the shortcomings in his game uh, might you know, you can you can hide them better if you're not relying on him to be a, an everyday presence in your lineup at one position. So the more good players you add, the more good things that, that can happen. So again, while it's not the same as adding a, an, a true impact player like George Springer, this is a player who A, raises that floor, B, has the versatility to do a very difficult job that nobody else on the on the ball, ball club can do other than Bo Bichette without being a complete nothing at the plate like whomever else, San Diego Espinal, or who, anyone else who's good enough to play shortstop but isn't an everyday shortstop, they can't hit. That's why they're there in that role. So lots to like about that deal. Lots to like about the Blue Jays adding this kind of potential impact. They're going to be a real force to re- be reckoned with at the plate. You know, Even if Marcus Simeon is something between what he was in 2020 and what he was in 2019, he's still, that's like still another league average guy. Which, if you think back to the 2015 Blue Jays, they they had great players, but they had just so many guys that could wear you out and and turn in good at bats and hit the ball over the fence, which helps you win helps you win games. We'll be right back with more spin rate from me and Caitlin, but first, check this out. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Position player-wise, outfield, infield, they were just two really kind of ideal moves for the Blue Jays. I mean, they could have done other things. There's probably other players. I mean, like trading for Lindor would have been um, obviously a great move as well. But just when you look at kind of what they needed, what they were looking for, just getting a center fielder, um, the best center fielder available and getting a guy like Simeon, like you said, has a high floor, has a lot of, he's very capable, can play shortstop, can play second. It just like, it's a, it was a really two- two pieces of business that I think really got the job done for, for them heading into this season. Um, so position player wise, uh, Blue, Blue Jays did well. Um, if you want to transition to the pitching side of things, maybe uh, something they didn't do so well. Um, I was going to also throw to maybe the signing that I liked the best if um we can touch on that first and then go through what they didn't sign or who they didn't sign, I should say. Um, but Kirby Yates, I think, was a really good signing. Um, I I think that it could be sneaky good in the sense that I think it's like five and a half million. Maybe there's some incentives there. I, I can't remember exactly. But, I mean, he was, was the best closer in baseball or one of the best closers in baseball in 2019. Um, he had an injury last year, but as far as I've read, it wasn't, um, you know, extensive, serious surgery. It was just kind of cleanup of, um, the elbow area, or I think he told us in his, uh, zoom availability that, you know, the doctor, the surgeon said his elbow looked really good. He doesn't have a history of arm issues. So, and he's, he's also a reliever that doesn't, you know, the rare reliever, I guess, or the rare closer, um, who doesn't rely on just like high velocity. He's got that splitter. That's his weapon. So typically with those types of guys working on finesse, they tend to age better too. And they don't, they're not relying on the velocity. So maybe the arm injury is a bit of a less of a concern. So I think he could end up being a really sneaky, good signing for them. Blue Jays have a history of, um, doing pretty well on with reliever signings. They've, um, they've found a lot of guys on relatively friendly, um, contracts, um, 
typically what they've done is they've signed those guys and then they flipped them at the trade deadline because they were in that phase of their um, rebuild where they were just, you know, turning over assets for more assets, basically. Um, so, you know, if they're doing that this year, something's gone terribly wrong. Um, but I think, um, yeah, Kirby Yates could be a really good piece for them. Looks like he could take over the closer role, which they need. He's kind of that, um, you know, veteran presence in the bullpen. Um, that was a really good signing. It was completely overshadowed because it happened like hours before George Springer. So people completely forgot about it. He's also just a reliever. So those don't typically get the same amount of attention, but that's a signing that I've really liked, um, this off season. I think it could be really good for the Blue Jays. And it was again, something that they really needed. Um, and, and they got the job done there. For sure. He, he is similar to Simeon, as you said, a guy who we're looking more at his track record than his, than projecting forward. He's not necessarily a guy you're going to assume immediately to drop in and be the best reliever in the bullpen. But there's so much to like about Kirby Yates. If you go back, as you mentioned, and you go back to, um, 2019, one of the, you know, the best reliever in baseball, he was just a guy that nobody could square up. Couldn't hit him hard. Huge strikeout rate. Didn't walk anybody. You know, again, just missed a ton of bats, missed a ton of barrels. Uh, ever since he switched from being sort of like a more traditional, I guess, like fastball slider guy, as you meant, as you mentioned, when he went to that splitter, that's really where he uh, really took off and really was able to find his niche. It was a pitch that's really worked for him. You know, people will maybe point to pitching in San Diego. I, I, you know, again, if you look at the just his ability to make people miss um, at the plate. Is, uh, doesn't matter how, how big or small your ballpark is. If they're swinging and missing and you don't, and you're not p- putting them on, uh, you're way ahead of the game. So again, a guy with a huge ceiling and mi- with that, you never want to say fly. Uh, in my mind, there's no such thing as a floor for a pitcher because the pitcher's floor is that they're not playing. If his arm is blown up or his elbow's barking, whatever that, that's the floor. So, but a guy who can immediately come in and, and be an impact be an impact uh, uh, player in the bullpen and can just add another element, add another dimension, be what, you know, Ken Giles was in 2019 when it didn't matter. And then a a, a bit of something that they missed in 2020 when they had a, again, a really good group. People love to talk about Pete Walker and all the different things that that he can do um, and and fixating on, you know, the Blue Jays, um, how much they love to focus on spin ring and uh and and the just the ability to spin the baseball it's just the sort of thing that it's almost hard to teach um on, on an unrelated note aaron sanchez signed a one-year deal with the giants uh yesterday or today uh, based on exactly on those same things but four he's a million. guy that projects four million bucks pretty good for aaron sanchez who's been so bad so many times in his career <laughs> the poor bastard he was hitting uh, never, 98 or something i read that's great what does he have any idea where the fuck it's going no he doesn't <laughs> so it doesn't matter it does matter. Good for you, Aaron Sanchez. Get your money. Um, who's laughing now? Marcus Throne is making 18 and a half this year there, Aaron Sanchez. There's a lot to like about Kirby Yates. Uh, and, and again, this, this is a guy who has the potential to make a true impact. And, and this isn't this isn't the Blue Jays, as you said, sort of mining value and looking to flip it and spin it. And like this is this is a guy they can envision being a very productive part of a good bullpen. You can never have enough good relievers. You can never have enough relievers, period. And the Blue Jays have certainly done that because beyond Kirby Yates in the in the bullpen and on the pitching staff, you've seen them add a lot of depth guys. So there wasn't the big impact signing. There wasn't another big splash the Blue Jays were able to make this offseason. But on top of Kirby Yates, we're talking about players like, uh, well, Stephen Matz. Stephen Matz trade, re-signed, re-signed Robbie Ray. Um what am I, who else am I missing here? Uh, David Phelps is coming back from I saw that. Open. That's wild. Um, um, Tyler, uh, Tyler Chatwood? Tyler Chatwood is a guy, again, there's a guy who spins spins the ball a lot and, and has had some success in his career, but like was so bad recently, like walking everybody in the world. So that's more of a project. Oh, this is not unlike Stephen uh, Matz where, okay, bring in that high-speed curve or high you know, whatever, that high spin rate fastball. And uh, we'll see if we can make something of it if you're the Blue Jays. But it, it, you're just really talking about adding all this depth. And then you're adding it to, you know, a, a pretty good existing core. You know, we see, I, I forgot about how good Ryan Barucki was. And, you know, Ryan Barucki stepping into that role, maybe pitching one or two innings at a time, adding more and more Ross Stripling and Julian Merriweather. Like, they're just piling up guys who can get outs, which is exactly what you need. If you're going to get through 162 games, 
if you're going to try to win 90 of them, you're going to need a lot of good relievers. So it's it's difficult. There's, there's I guess the big thing you can say about the Blue Jays offseason is there's no there's no move you can point to and be disappointed in. If you're a Blue Jays fan who's disappointed in this in this Blue Jays offseason, well, you got we got we need to talk because this is as good as it gets if you're the Blue Jays. Truth be told, How, well, when was the last time they had a winter like this? Caitlin, Blue, noted Blue Jays historian Caitlin McGrath. Um, I can't remember. Um, I I don't think. I mean, certainly not recently. I mean, last year the Ryu signing got things started a little bit. It at least with this front office. It showed that they are willing to spend um, on a player that they really like and a player they think can make an impact. But, I mean, realistically, last year, the only big signing was um, Ryu, and it obviously paid off very well. He was very good last year. Um, but, yeah, no, this – I would I would say this offseason has been um, almost as good as you can get um, other than the big – um, other than the question mark or the big missing piece, which is that they didn't make a huge impact, um, start starting pitcher signing. But outside of that, I mean, they, they had a very good off season. And I think that, I don't know, there's probably a handful of teams that did a little bit better than the Blue Jays. Um, like the Padres obviously kind of dominated the off season. Um, but yeah, yeah, the Blue Jays would be in that top tier of, of teams that really went out and, actively tried to make themselves better. And that's kind of what you want to see from your baseball team. We're going to raise the banner. It's time to raise the offseason champs banner. It's been a few years that the Blue Jays raised the offseason champs ba- banner. I believe it was maybe 2012. 2012? Yeah. When when they when they did, did the Josh Johnson and and uh, Jose Reyes. The difference between this, this offseason and that offseason is these moves are smart. Um, well, that's all. I mean, obviously 2015 when they acquired Russell Martin and Josh Donaldson, that's a pretty good, uh, duo to add mm-hmm. to your mix. But it, it, the, the difference is, is all these, all these trades that we've talked about, the Blue Jays didn't touch any of their, um, prospect depth, which is helped to inform the big league team, which is there's a bit of a lag between, you know, the kind of next crop of, of, of young players who are ready to come and step in. But, you know, the last two first-round picks that the Blue Jays have made, Alec Manoa and then Austin Martin, are both college, you know, aged players. They're not high school projects. So these guys are relatively close to making an impact in the big league. So, you know, they're and so the Blue Jays, on top of that, still have so much of their prospect depth. I'm not sure. I think Keith Law, uh, you know, ranked recently on The Athletic, ranked the Blue Jays' farm system as one of the best in in, in baseball. Not, Not the best, but... Again, a lot to like, a lot to offer, a lot of depth, a lot of different um, depth in terms of key positions and, you know, behind the plate when there's talk about, I don't know, whoever, Gabriel Moreno and and some of these other players who are coming up that if the Blue Jays want to make another big move, if maybe, maybe, maybe you wanted to give the the Blue Jays offseason, especially on the, on the mound, especially in the rotation, say you wanted to give them like a really bad grade, you wanted to really, really rip them a new one. And you said, I'm going to give you guys a B, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which you you caught some flack. Am, am I am I am I speaking out of turn? <laughs> Listen, okay, yeah, I have to address this. Um, I've wanted to address this. <laughs> Speak on it. Get it <laughs> since, off your chest. Let's go. Since I saw the comments, so uh, I guess I should start off with saying that probably in high school and certainly in university, I was a bit of a perfectionist when it came to grades. Uh, probably still I am a bit of a perfectionist, although when you write as much <laughs> as I do as a career, you kind of, um, you know, aren't so hard on yourself all the time because certainly not every article I write is perfect, which you guys let me know with the grades. So you said I got it wrong. I recognize that if that amount of people say I got the grade wrong um, for the starting pitching or ads this winter, then I have to at least acknowledge that maybe I did. So for, for me, um, for the most part though, you guys agreed with me. I I don't, I should pull, pull up the article just to see what, um, I gave them. I think for the outfield grade, I gave them an A plus. Um, I think for the infield, I gave them an A, an A maybe. Uh, yeah, an A for the bullpen. I gave them an A minus. So 
I think there's a trend here. I was a pretty easy marker. Yeah. And for the rotation, <laughs> I gave them I gave them a B. So from my point of view, I think from my perspective, I thought B was like a bad grade. <laughs> like I didn't think it was that good of a grade. So that's kind of maybe my perspective coming from, um, I don't know, my own personal bias is that I got like a plain old B, which is like what, like a 70 three, like I would not be super happy with that grade. So I viewed a B as kind of keeping the status quo. So I looked at what the Blue Jays did. Robbie Ray um, signed for Robbie Ray one year, 8 million, pretty fair deal. Um, Doesn't bury them for years to come or anything. You're kind of betting on him. He's going to be a project. The Blue Jays already kind of know him. They signed him really quickly. So they probably have some, you know, some intel on him that they think they can really figure out what has gone wrong with Robbie Ray the last number of years with the number of walks that he's been giving up. And they traded for Steven Matz. Again, like you were talking about project piece there, it really didn't cost them very much, you know, three guys that, you know, were kind of low level prospects, um, two guys that were really kind of fringe roster pieces at that point. So a really cost friendly or cost effective um, way to add to their rotation. I hear you that they weren't impactful ads. I get that. So I guess I view to be as kind of just like status quo, um, somewhat doing the bare minimum to at least get an okay grade. So I think it's just my perspective of if they had just done one of those moves, then you're looking at a C or a D. Um, you know, if it was just Robbie Ray, um, obviously that's probably a C grade, just Matt. So that's probably low C D grade them together, recognizing that Steven Matt's is coming off a really bad year. Also, Robbie Ray is not coming off a great year. I guess I just viewed it as the Blue Jays, at least kind of trying and just kind of status quo, um, so that was kind of how I came to the grade, but I also recognize why people were saying that it was a little bit too, um, I don't know, too soft of a grade or I went too easy on them. So I don't know. I would like to hear your thoughts. Um, I, I will have to reassess, though, these grade things because... <laughs> I think we need to reassess your expectations when it comes to education and academia. Because let me tell you, you have missed your calling as a teacher to underachieving students around the world, which is to say <laughs> that if you were a baseball team that wants to win the World Series and you emerged from the winter fog, headed to spring training, and your number two starter on rosterresource.com was Robbie Ray, and you walked out with a B, I am laughing. Because, I, and, and I, I'm just giving you a hard time, and I get where you're coming from, your justification is, is, is fair. But the problem is that the, the status quo is bad. Uh, Robbie Ray is far from a sure thing. I think it, what it might hint to is, especially when you look at the kind of players who are not late inning relievers, which are, of which I would say like Yates, Jordan Romano, even Rafael Dolis. Really, that's it in terms of late inning relievers. And everybody else is going to be like a, a, a veritable bulk guy because you're not getting any bulk at all from the starting rotation with Robbie Ray, with Tanner Roark, with Steven Matz, like none of those guys, I would even trust to turn over a lineup twice. Like once is plenty. If you, if Robbie Ray can get, give you three innings, you're probably happy with that most of the time. Again, a really inconsistent guy. I think, you know, maybe one thing that they know about him, his pants don't fit. They're too tight. Maybe that's why he can't throw strikes. Pants too tight. (laughs) Everyone on the, everyone watching the game too distracted. Looks too good. But they need to make an, another move to bolster their starting pitch, pitching, if you ask me, where even if you get into the playoffs, you know, you, I get everyone's impulse to use the Rays as the model, but I really don't think it's that. They ran out of gas. They, they, they had nobody they could rely on because they cooked all their relievers in the first, excuse me, a couple rounds of the playoffs. And to, so the point where they got the World Series, they had nobody they could rely on. And, and they also don't have anybody that can go deep. I think that, that you need to, if there is an opportunity to acquire a higher end starter, somebody who could slot in behind 
Hyunjin Ryu, and Nate Pearson, who we haven't really spoken of. Something of a wild card. His health is up in the air. Ability to throw strikes is kind of attached to that. Obviously, the the ceiling is is the stratosphere. A guy with insane stuff who looks the part, who really seems like he wants to do it. We, you know, we, we everyone knows about his sort of dedication to the craft and and looking at um, you know the science and just trying to get better any way he can. He's got a lot of work to do because he just, other than when he came in in a relief appearance and blew away the Rays in a blowout, which was a nice way to end the season. But there's still a lot of question marks around him. The Blue Jays need more than just what they've got. So a B, which is a 73, is still like a passing grade. Like obviously, Caitlin, you're you're a very capable individual who was never just hoping to get nudged over the finish line when it came to the report card time. <laughs> but that, I think the, the concern about the Blue Jays is, or my question, I guess, is can this rotation nudge it over the finish line in a way that's going to get them ahead of the Rays, equal or close to the Yankees or beyond the Yankees, and even ahead of like the pesky Red Sox and Cleveland, Chicago. You know, the Angels, uh, the whoever else is the Houston. Like, there's a lot of teams that are going to be fighting in and around that same kind of echelon in, in the in, in the American League. And they've got to they've got to do more than just nudge it over the finish line. So hopefully, if everything goes to plan, some of that prospect depth, some of that if they have some extra money, or if they don't, they can use some of that prospect depth to maybe make a bit more of an impact later in the season to address what looks like on paper could be a bit of a problematic rotation from where I sit. Yeah, I mean, I I completely agree that the rotation is the clear weakness on this team. Um, and, I mean, the the free agent pitching class wasn't great this offseason. Um, there was sort of, a, a you know, a top pitcher, and then there was a lot of other guys. And, and even in that second tier, there was sort of a lot of question marks with some guys, um, like Jake Gordorizzi. He's not even signed yet. And, yeah, he's, um, you know, he's been a steady guy. He was injured a lot last year. He had a really good season 2019. And even before that, he just – you know, was a guy that could take the ball every five days, had a pretty good track record. Uh, he hasn't even signed yet, but you know, he was kind of, uh, one of the top guys in that secondary tier, I guess, however you want to phrase it. Um, so the, the free agent pitching class was not the greatest this year. I mean, there's still a chance the Blue Jays could do something between now and spring training or sorry, um, opening day. Obviously there's going to be some signings into spring training because there's guys that remained unsigned. James Paxson just signed, couple days ago so there's time for the blue jays a trade seems less likely at this point just because like you know teams probably aren't looking to trade right now but um you never know you never know um trading in season is obviously an option whenever you talk to the blue jays front office and you talk to ross atkins and even mark shapiro sometimes they always talk about sort of different junctures and and times that they recognize uh, to make the team better. And they, you know, always mention the off season is a time that you can improve your team. And then they always mention the trade deadline is a time that you can improve your team and so on and so on. So while ideally you don't necessarily want to be going into, you know, July still looking for a starter, if, you're, if your rotation was that much of a mess, it is an option for the Blue Jays that they could trade in season. Um, they did that last year, albeit it was a shortened season, so it was like a little bit different. But um, yeah, I think it. I think it would be um, it would be weird to not have concerns about this rotation. I just think when you look at the lineup, we talked about the bullpen looks like a really balanced bullpen. The lineup looks really good. Offense is probably going to be what the Blue Jays need to rely on to win games. I think their offense probably has the capability to make up for some defensive deficiencies that this team might still have. Certainly they're going to be hoping that the offense can hit more than the rotation um, gives Allows. up runs. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so, um, so that's going to be an option for this team. I mean, it's a model that can work if you can just out hit other teams and the blue Jays mm -hmm. showed mm -hmm. traits of that last year. I mean, they won some games coming back and scoring run after run. And so they definitely have the ability to do that, but that's certainly not, not necessarily a strategy um, that you want to go all in for. You would much rather just have a, a solid team, a rotation that's good, an offense that's good, defense that's good. Everything is working on all cylinders. So mm -hmm. um, I hear you, readers. I hear you, Drew. Um, 
I am going to reassess my own grading abilities. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be more aware of just like what the sort of like general perception of a B is as opposed to like my warped um, perfectionist. So glad I'm not in school anymore because it was a stressful time for me brain. And I completely recognize that like a normal, uh, I shouldn't say normal, but I, I completely recognize that a B um, is considered a pretty good grade. And I feel like I was trying to suggest that I didn't think the Blue Jays did great. Uh, I thought a B addressed that. It didn't. So I hear you guys. Um, but overall, I should also say that I wanted the gr final grade to be an A minus for their offseason, which might be high. A lot of people agreed with that grade. Um, and I kind of wanted to balance out. So I didn't feel like if I gave if I gave an alt, like a, a final grade of an A minus to have like a an F for the rotation kind of didn't really add up in my in my mind. So I was also trying to like balance the grades so like the final grade would actually make some sense. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I hear you guys. Um, no, I, th I think you're right. I, th I think that <laughs> that that you know a B is more like an empathetic C minus, right? Like it's a C minus with heart. Is, is where maybe more where you're coming from. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You don't want anyone to go home and have, have a nightmare conversation with their parents or whoever it is <laughs> paying for their expensive education. You'd be like, I have to go to summer school or something, you know? Could be worse. Hey, look, you know what they say? I've been on a million job interviews. I've had many jobs. Hey, nobody ever asked me about my grades at any Grading point. Grading is hard. Grading is hard. Mm -hmm. Like it needs to be, it needs to be, it needs to be uh, really broken down, really systemic. You have to really have to boxes and grades and, you got to get nitty gritty, which, which you know, uh, uh, a twelve hundred word uh, post off season uh, off season report card is not as rigorous as yeah. the modern educational evaluation systems. To which next year, next year I need a rubric. I'll have a whole rubric outline. I'll You're lay send out why. I'll have comments. You know, their mm -hmm. parents will have to sign the bottom of the article. You're going to send Ross Atkins a syllabus at the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the at the beginning of the uh, of the offseason. That's that's fair. Be more spin rate coming up in just a second. But first, we want you to listen to this. I think the one thing I'll say, and then we're going to move on from this to kind of the rest of the sort of news of the day. But in my mind, Jake Odorizzi is almost the, the ideal guy if you can't get an impact guy because. He's better than what you've got. He's not so good that he's going to be expensive because when I look at what they've got in place and when you think about the offense that they figure to have, you know, a little bit of stability, a little bit of the ability to give you some innings, the ability to even just get you 18 outs, God bless it. That's, that's huge if you can get 18 outs for me every five days. That's big when you've got so many big question marks in terms of Ray, Matz, Roark, even Pearson. So that there's you can't put a price on that other than the fact that you very easily can put a price on the ability to get you 18 or 15 outs every five days. I don't, you know, some of the things you might read or hear suggest the Blue Jays don't have a lot of money right now, which is fine. Again, as the season plays out, whether or not there are fans in attendance, depending on who's in real financial difficulty, maybe the Blue Jays can again take advantage of the benevolence of their ownership or how, however it is they manage to get all this money out of Rogers to sign George Springer and sign Marcus Simeon. Maybe that, that kindness can be extended and they can be the, they can benefit from another team's uh, attempt to get out from under a contract that they're not comfortable with. And the Blue Jays can pay with, a couple prospects maybe instead of paying with money and then can really arm their team to go forward and really try to make uh, make a big splash in 2021 because I think that's what they're trying to do. Now, the big question, I guess, here in mid the middle of February is where are they going to make that splash? And I don't think anybody really knows. I got a DM today. Someone's like, they're playing in Dunedin, confirmed. Awesome. I hope that's true. I don't know this guy from Adam, but whether they're going to play in Dunedin, in Buffalo, it doesn't look like they're going to start the season in Toronto. And it also doesn't look like people like you, Caitlin, who are on the beat, who travel with the team and historically and spend time in spring training, 
not exactly uh, rushing to a flight to Florida th- tonight, are you? I am not. Um, I am not going to be attending spring training this year. Um, I think that is uh, common around baseball. I think some reporters are going, some reporters are not going. Ultimately, I decided not to go because there's not going to be much access for us this year. The players and, and teams are still operating under their you know strict protocols, so reporters aren't going to be anywhere close to the players. I mean, typically spring training is a time where access is really good. Um, players are very relaxed. Um, they're in the locker room for a long time. You can grab guys on the side, have really long chats with them. And it's usually a very good time to sort of, um, you know, get to know the new players, kind of cultivate relationships and whatnot. Um, and it wasn't going to be that this year. And then so that combined with just the, you know, risks that are associated with traveling right now and just the border controls that we also have to deal with, um, you know, going in to the United States and then coming back to Canada. It just ultimately didn't make sense for me. So I won't be going. Um, I'll be covering spring training from where I'm sitting right now, which is in my living room on my computer, uh, attending a bunch of Zooms. That'll be different, but it's still, um, you know, still looking forward um, to, you know, seeing some of the guys seeing how they spent their off season, everyone's going to be in the best shape of their lives. I'm certainly not in the best shape of my life, not after this year. Um, but <laughs> maybe those guys will be. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still looking forward to it. And, um, what about you? Like, what are you most looking forward to about spring training this year? That will be weird, but I mean, ultimately it is what it is. I'm looking forward to figuring out where they're going to play. Um, you know, Buffalo was suboptimal. There are a lot of things to dislike about the idea of them playing in Dunedin versus Buffalo, the weather being one of them. I know that uh, uh, my former co-host Andrew Stoughton wrote on his newsletter, The Bat Flip, today. He, he had a stat about um, the number of rain days that there are um, from basically like mid-June into September in, in through central Florida. It rains a lot. It's Florida. It's, it's a garbage place full of, you know, bizarre choices is what we'll say. Uh, but like, it's not, uh, it's not ideal to be constantly at, um, uh, going through rain delays. And while it's great that the, the facility is there, so maybe they can do stuff and do move more of their pregame and all that sort of, uh, work that players like Marcus Simeon like to put in can happen under, uh, the safety of a roof. The idea of just losing time, losing games, playing all these goofy seven inning double headers, whatever it might be on top of the COVID pressure seems, um, extremely suboptimal. The idea of playing in Buffalo is, uh, I mean, it's fine other than the fact that the Bisons are really hoping to play there at some point this year. So figuring where they're going to play and then figuring out, um, you know, one of the, the exciting things is like, what are these young guys going to be? You know, and, and, and spring training has so many opportunities for that. Alejandro Kirk showed up to spring training today. It is pitchers and catchers after all. It looked like a million bucks which is not what I signed up for. I made this joke on Twitter. I'm going to do it again here. Like I want a thick round catcher. I don't need someone who's <laughs> strong and fit and, and and capable. That's not his deal. That's not his appeal to me. It, so much of what he does is aesthetic. Man swings the bat, looks sort of like a fire hydrant, whatever. I'm all in for that. I don't need him coming with like, with like a chest and you know, the cut his, his tricep. No, no Alejandro Kirk. Be you, do you. But also, of course, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. showing up after his well-documented uh, winter of fitness and getting into, um, on Instagram anyway, visibly better shape. What's that going to translate into? Is that going to translate into the ability to play third base? I wrote about it in my newsletter that uh, the subscribers will see tomorrow. Is it going to translate into ability to hit the ball in the air? Right. This is a guy who, who hits the ball as hard as anybody in baseball, but hits it into the ground. Just get it up in the air in a little bit. And we'll be talking about one of the best hitters in baseball. So like for, for me, just seeing what, what this means for Guerrero about uh, in particular, who I think is the most important player in the Blue Jays in 2021, because his ceiling is, is so high because it just feels like it's so close that he could just all unlock. And then it's just something else altogether. When you get what he has shown in glimpses and spurts and, Fits and starts, if you can get a full season or 100 and 125 games of just truly dominating offensive performance and you match it with all the other players that are that are around, um, it's really something to reckon with. So I'm excited to see 
um, his physical transformation and also just maybe the mental transformation, you know, to, into, into just putting in the work. Um, this is a guy who's now played 183 big league games, Guerrero Jr., 757 plate appearances in the big leagues. Um, he's had a wake-up call. He's a barely above average hitter for a variety of reasons. So now is the time, as we talked about. Now is the time to get real. Now is the time to to produce because it's the big leagues. And, and as Josh Donaldson fa- famously said a few years ago, as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays, it's not the try league, it's the get shit done league. And if Guerrero's not there to do it, if he can't contribute anything defensively and he's not standout offensively, there are lots of guys who are ready to take that job from him. Rowdy Telez is ready to, to get as many advances as he can. Alejandro Kirk, who might not look exactly like a fire hydrant anymore, but that doesn't mean he can't swing it. Right? There's a lot of guys who are eligible for those non-premium defensive at-bats. So Guerrero is going to have to earn them. But nobody's more capable of earning them and performing and producing in that role than him. So that's the big thing that I'm looking for. And then, you know, Nate Pearson, I think, is the other one, too. Like, when he's throwing bullpens and we're not going to get any crappy spring training twit picks from reporters with their iPhones sticking them through a fence or anything anymore. But, which is, it breaks my heart because it's fun. (laughs) (laughs) It was a highlight last year. Without it, I, I'm not critical of your uh, camera work, only your grading. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, I, I know the spring training is such an exciting and such a fun time. Um, it would be great to see, it, it, depending on where, where cameras get to go, um, more of the facility, right? More of the facility there in Denny. Now, unfortunately, no one's going to be there to kind of document what's there in a way that isn't making it read like a glossy pamphlet. But I think that getting players' sense of what, what's there and, and seeing if they can translate any of this into any of this player development mumbo-jumbo and any of this sort of um, all this talk and all this investment. And this is like Mark Shapiro's thing right now. This is his kind of like the f- flag he's planted on, on, on his tenure as a Blue Jay, which Blue Jay's general president, which is now going to extend. He signed another contract. Another thing that happened in the offseason, we don't even have time to talk about yeah. the – the cult of the executive. <laughs> well, we didn't even have time to talk about George Springer playing on the fucking Astros and being a cheater. Like, does that matter? Does that mean anything? We've glossed over it, which is a mistake. And I, I, when I looked at it, I was like, don't forget to talk about this. And then I've forgotten to talk about it. But I think, Caitlin, I think we're kind of coming to the end of the show. What do you think? I think so. Uh, I think that I just want to give you my ideal scenario first for how the season will play out. Mm -hmm. They will begin the season in Dunedin. And then July 1st, Canada Day, Canada will welcome their Blue Jays home. They will open the season in Toronto on Canada Day. Uh, The the virus will be under control. We will have a, a steady vaccination program in Canada. That's how I'm getting through my days. I'm just looking... To the future, very optimistically, hoping the Blue Jays return to Toronto at some point. Hopefully everyone can get behind that plan, unlike my grades. <laughs> but <laughs> If I hash, was to grade... Hash, hashtag Canada Day opening day. If I was to grade that plan, I would give it a solid B. Oh. Which is to, which is to say, it is it's amazing. You know, a, a B is a C minus to me. No, this is a real, not a gentleman's B, not an empathetic B. <laughs> I love the idea. You you are like a born marketer. It's right there. You know, I don't know what you yep. took in university where you were getting a, a plus and everything. Obviously, not marketing because you have a, <laughs> not you, marketing. <laughs> but this is an that's an ideal plan. Except that there's no way that everybody in Canada is in Ontario in particular is going to be vaccinated by Canada Day, which breaks my heart. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Hopefully we're on the road to seeing a majority of people at that point. I don't know. That's a whole other conversation for a whole other podcast. But just maybe the Blue Jays coming back to Canada at some point in the summer, I think could be a possibility. I I love love the idea of Canada Day for the marketing. Oh, it looks like right now, Wednesday night, when we're recording this, uh, Sportsnet, has announced that the Blue Jays will, in fact, start the season in Dunedin, which, you know, makes all the sense in the world at the end of the day. Um, so at least now we know and the Blue Jays know where they're going to start the 2021 season. And 
I want to say thank you to everyone for listening. And we know, and you know, where you can listen to the Athletics Blue Jays podcast at theathletic.com slash spin rate. Really excited to have everybody on board. If you want to drop us a rating, if you want to subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on Podfeed, or whatever they're called, please do so. Uh, send us any feedback. We'd love to hear it. We want to hear um, what you think and what we can. We're really looking forward to um, to really making this new show something uh, something special. So we're really excited. Um, so find us on Twitter. Find Caitlin C. McGrath on Twitter. Find at Drew Groff on Twitter. Subscribe to The Athletics. Subscribe to the show. And uh, we'll talk to you next week on Spin Rate.